chapter six part one section three of a defence of idealism by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six the new realism part one section three we are meant to see at once that such a space bequeaths its own reality in peculiar outsideness to the things that occupy it given that the adjustment of private to public space is an outside affair it is possible for new realism to proclaim boldly the outsideness and publicity of sense data there is no sensation so elementary and so immediate that it cannot rank as perception of an outside real thing only from the private point of view of the receiver can it be regarded as a private object enshrined in private space sensations red hot loud rough hard heavy are not my internal and private response to an external nerve stimulus nor are they yours they are planted out in the object or rather they subsist in the object by its and their own right they are objects it follows that for realism as for idealism there will be no difference between the so-called primary and secondary qualities if position extension size shape weight and impenetrability are real we have no reason for supposing that the secondary qualities of matter colour and sound and taste and smell are not real too this point is too important to be passed over with a summary reference again it is a question of logical construction and correlation and the inferences we make therefrom such sense data whatever else they may be are to be classed among what mr bertrand russell calls hard facts they are given not inferred they are irreducible to anything simpler than themselves we infer that they have an objective or independent reality from the fact that they enter obediently into the context of objective or independent realities they can be correlated with them so as to form part of the same logical construction they show themselves as belonging not only to the same universe but to the same order of reality within the universe for the thorough-paced realist and thorough-paced idealist alike the distinction between the illusions and realities of sense is irrelevant they are distinguished only by their respective contexts but it is a distinction which makes all the difference between realism and thorough-paced idealism thus mr bertrand russell in our knowledge of the external world the first thing to realize he says is that there are no such things as illusions of sense objects of sense even when they occur in dreams are the most indubitably real objects known to us what then makes us call them unreal in dreams merely the unusual nature of their connection with other objects of sense i dream that i am in america but i wake up and find myself in england without those intervening days on the atlantic which alas are inseparably connected with a real visit to america objects of sense are called real when they have the kind of connection with other objects of sense which experience has led us to regard as normal when they fail in this they are called illusions but what is illusory is only the inferences to which they give rise in themselves they are every bit as real as the objects of waking life thus mr edwin holt in the place of illusory experience in a realistic world taking up the idealistic challenge 
not the illusory or hallucinatory image as such he says it was rightly said by our opponent but such an image when it asserts itself to be or when the realist asserts it to be a real object is the crux for realism now the secondary qualities he goes on present interrelations both fixed and intelligible so that those persons who seriously study them begin to see that they form a system like the systems discovered in mathematics and this fact alone as someone has said already sets them off from the purely subjective individual and incalculable mr holt's argument is too closely and elaborately knit to bear quotation of any single passage this is the gist of it take a whole class of so-called sense illusions errors of space the diminution duplication and distortion of an object a suitable apparatus can produce mechanically and objectively the perfect counterpart of these effects there is a certain mechanical focusing of the eyes by which when our eyes are shut near things can be made to seem nearer and smaller there is a certain mechanical focusing by which a machine for manufacturing shoe lasts copies its model the machine at work has quite the air of seeing its model so much so that the nearer the centre of the last is brought to the cutting edge of the machine the smaller the model that the machine turns out again the stereoscopic camera habitually sees double as human eyes will if their several perspectives are divided a roughly cut lens distorts as badly as an astigmatic eye and the realist argues thus as in these cases there is an inequality of the self-subsistent reality either of the single undiminished undistorted object or of its doubling reduction and distortion so there should be no question in the case of the human apparatus which is equally mechanical both affairs are of the same order as for the so-called subjective hallucinations for instance of dreams they are precisely on the same footing as objective sensations the nervous system even when unstimulated from without is able to generate within itself nerve currents of those frequencies whose density factor is the same as in ordinary peripheral stimulation and mr alexander is no less explicit for him sense data are on precisely the same footing as an object of thought and equally independent of the mind that thinks or senses for us both the sensum and the so-called object of thought are equally objects non-psychical they are equally objects meant though they are not equally important doubtless it is difficult enough without natural and philosophical prepossessions to treat the sensum as an object independent of the mind for which the mind with its sense organ through its act of sensing is the mere vehicle of reception partly this arises from our theoretical ignorance of what exactly in the object the sensum is as compared with the percept to call the sensum blue as i have done using a leibnizian metaphor a fulguration of the quality blueness is admittedly but a metaphor and i am not yet prepared to supply the defect in theory the sensum he goes on is so fragmentary and elementary but at least we can say that whatever it may be it is that which exists in the thing at the moment and place to which it is referred and that it is equally and identically apprehensible by me and another person who should put himself into the same situation of place and time as i and who is supposed for simplicity to be equally normal with me 
and to be suffering from no special subjective condition different from mine which might differently affect his susceptibility to the sensory object again i see the table in different perspective according to my position he says but this does not prove the visual object psychical a mere content but only that the object looks different from different angles the appearances are real characters of the thing and so when the stick is seen bent in water its visual character is bent because of the refraction of the light the illuminated outline is bent but of course the touch stick is not bent these facts point to the superior value of touch experience and the greater importance of primary qualities as in the first place apprehended by touch over the secondary ones the primary qualities are in precisely the same position with regard to our minds as the secondary ones either both of them are mental or neither the plain man ought to rejoice at this rehabilitation of the world he takes for granted the irreducible real world outside consciousness resonant as a drum hard as marble bearing all the heraldry of its colours in its own right the world that dr johnson believed in the world that reed and wolfe the wolf who sent kant into a dogmatic slumber took for granted without any aid from analytic logic consider what has happened this world was badly shaken when berkeley melted down the primary objective qualities of matter into secondary subjective qualities and declared their essay to be percipi when hume reduced causation to fortuitous sequences of sensation and mill defined the result as a permanent possibility of sensation and when objective idealism proved that consciousness is considerably more than a stream of sensations when it raised up the world again out of the flux and stuck the broken bits of it together with thought relations its indubitable outside reality was still inside universal consciousness and it is this universality of consciousness that the new realism has laid its hands on so far idealism and realism can get along fairly comfortably together they can at any rate both agree that all the qualities of matter are in the same boat there is no difference on either theory between primary and secondary qualities it is over the thought relations that the decisive battle is to be fought the new realism abolishes the entire system of thought relations which idealism has built up it repudiates the idealist theory of internal relations relations snugly yet inscrutably housed in their terms for realism there are terms and there are relations but though relations are concepts they are not the work of thought and in no case is a relation dependent on its terms or grounded mysteriously in their secret inner nature every relation is an outside and self-subsistent reality independent both of the relator and the related there is properly speaking no relator a relation is a thing devoid of secrecy or mystery plain as a pikestaff or the nose on your face and offering not the smallest foothold to idealistic monism useless to inquire how a relation and its terms come together they are together for shorter or longer periods that is enough that is the beginning and the end of the relation and as sense data the greenish gold the loud the cold the smooth the heavy the acrid smelling the bitter tasting all the secondary qualities that i sense say in a brass trombone are outside and self-subsistent objects of sensation and as percepts 
such as the brass trombone itself localized for me in close and intimate relation to my sense organs as i play it and in more or less distant relation to the concert hall i play it in to the other instruments in the orchestra and the other things in the hall as the brass trombone the percept is the outside and self-subsistent object of perception so the concepts brass trombone greenish goldenness loudness coldness smoothness heaviness acridity and bitterness are outside and self-subsistent objects of conception but they are no more in the object of sense perception than they are in or of the perceiving consciousness they would have given considerable trouble and raised the most disconcerting dilemmas if they had been so they too are planted out not in space not in time but in a world of their own the world of the changeless and eternal ideas if there be any world of the absolute it is theirs and theirs alone here after twenty-three centuries platonic idealistic realism has come again into its own there must be no misunderstanding about the position of ideals concepts or universals in the new realistic scheme no sentence can be made up without at least one word which denotes a universal the nearest approach would be some such statement as i like this but even here the word like denotes a universal for i may like other things and other people may like things thus all truths involve universals and all knowledge of truths involve acquaintance with universals the universal cannot be a so-called abstract idea an idea seated firmly in particulars and picked out of them by the mind take for example the idea of whiteness or the idea of the triangle that bishop berkeley argued about the triangle which must be neither oblique nor rectangle neither equilateral equicrural nor scalenon but all and none of these at once an unqualified triangle a triangle tout pour a difficulty emerges bertrand russell says as soon as we ask ourselves how we know that a thing is white or a triangle if we wish to avoid the universal's whiteness and triangularity we shall choose some particular patch of white or some particular triangle and say that anything is white or a triangle if it has the right sort of resemblance to our chosen particular but this is only putting off the evil day when we have to recognize the presence of the universal for the resemblance required will have to be a universal russell goes on since there are many white things the resemblance must hold between many pairs of particular white things and this is the characteristic of a universal it will be useless to say that there is a different resemblance for each pair for we shall have to say that those resemblances resemble each other and thus at last we shall be forced to admit resemblance as a universal the relation of resemblance then must be a true universal consider such a proposition he goes on as edinburgh is north of london here we have a relation between two places and it seems plain that the relation subsists independently of our knowledge of it the part of the earth's surface where edinburgh stands would be north of the part where london stands even if there were no human being to know north or south and even if there were no minds at all in the universe this follows as we have seen from the realistic theory of perception so that before we go on to consider the doctrine of universals we may assume it to be true that as russell says nothing mental is presupposed in the fact that edinburgh is north of london but this fact involves the relation north of which is a universal and it would be impossible for the whole fact to involve nothing mental if the relation north of which is a constituent part of the fact did involve anything mental 
idealists will again agree heartily with this view it would indeed be impossible hence said russell we must admit that the relation like the terms it relates is not dependent upon thought but belongs to the independent world which thought apprehends but does not create if we ask where and when does this relation exist the answer must be nowhere and no when there is no place or time where we can find the relation north of it is neither in space nor in time neither material nor mental yet it is something thoughts and feelings minds and physical objects exist but universals do not exist in this sense we shall say that they subsist or have being where being is opposed to existence as being timeless the world of universals therefore may also be described as the world of being the world of being is unchangeable rigid exact delightful to the mathematician the logician the builder of metaphysical systems and all who love perfection more than life thus mr edward spaulding in his defence of analysis the concept he says is not the printed or spoken sign the word it would subsist did the signs not exist it is not the knowledge or idea of the state of affairs the concept or group of concepts it is not identical with the individual cases whatever these be number is not any one number man is not a man etc it is not necessarily even physical or mental even when the individual cases are physical or mental existence thus mr cecil delisle burns in william of ockham on universals the facts of experience necessitate the supposition of one particulars differing numerically and not as collections of different qualities and two likenesses implying the existence of some sort of reality which is different from the reality of the particulars the likeness between particulars has to be explained by reference to a third thing which we may call a universal nor can the mere addition or blurring of particulars thisnesses produce a likeness whatness the universal therefore must be a kind of reality in relation to which the particulars are alike thus it exists besides and if you like it above or beyond the particulars we may say that universals are in mente but that they are and are independently of our knowledge of them there is no doubt therefore they exist in some other way than the way particulars exist hence we say that the likeness in things is not the universal but indicates the universal the italics are mine they emphasize the most important point of all the reason for this planting out is not far to seek it follows from the law of analytic logic which postulates the independence and the reality and the infinite number of its universals for the validity of all reasoning both inductive and deductive depends on the presence somewhere in the chain of a universal proposition either arrived at or assumed either expressed or implied in deduction which proceeds from the universal to the particular it is obvious that this is so but it is no less imperative in all induction which proceeds at its logical peril from the particular to the universal logical peril for consider that by no possible conjuring can you obtain a universal proposition from the simple enumeration of particular cases not if you went on enumerating for ten thousand years untold generations of observers taking up the tale for the peculiar indefinable indestructible validity of a universal law is not born of tireless and vociferous repetition but deduction must obtain its universal somewhere 
you must therefore assume the existence of as many universals as there are possible propositions if there is to be any reasoning at all it follows that if reasoning is to hold good of the real world universals must be as real as independent of consciousness as any of the realities which analytic logic has shown to be firmly established in space and time universals then are concepts the concepts are not thought relations in the idealist sense nor are they in any sense constructed or constituted by thought they are entities objects of conception independent of the conceiver standing on their own feet in their own spaceless and timeless world as objects of perception stand in space and time there is a concept or universal not only of every number and quantity and every thing and every quality but of, of but of every possible relation that obtains between all or any of them and of every proposition that can be made concerning all or any of them so that the world of the universals is as infinite as the world of space or time if you ask how apart from their logical functions they may be said to be the answer is that they are as objects of conceptual contemplation end of chapter six part one section three recording by expatriate in bangor maine